Unspoken Issues. All right, well, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. We are doing another Unspoken Epics. That's right. We are focusing on a six-issue story titled Heart of the Hawk. Came out in Dark Hawk Issues 10 through 15, started in the latter part of 1991, probably rolled its way into 1992, written by Danny Fingeroth, Mike Manley, the penciler, Ricardo Valagran as the anchor, Joe Rosas as the colorist, Bill Oakley as the letterer. And I am not, I, I'm, look, it's Dark Hawk. Like I told Chris Armstrong, I said, don't come on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And then he said, how dare you, sir? Now, this is obviously keep me away. (laughs) This is obviously (laughs) Chris Armstrong's baby. Chris, welcome back to the Unspoken Issues podcast. As always, sir, I'm glad you're here to help me along with some Dark Hawk. Are you ready to talk some Dark Hawk? Good to be here. Always eager to talk a little DH. I like it. And oh, Evan is a guy on Earth. Yes, that's right. Evan (laughs) Devin. Evan Bevins has joined us this evening. It's been a while since you've been on Unspoken Issues, I think. Welcome back. Are you ready to talk the heart of the hawk? I am. All right. All right. Although I have to say, you know, I've told you how much I like Dark Hawk, but uh, going back and, and reading this, it turns out I was talking about Dark Claw that whole time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it was really awkward. No, I, uh, I, I have been a Dark Hawk fan for a while, although I, I bow to Chris Armstrong's uh, superior knowledge here because this actually ends about two issues before I started reading Dark Hawk. Well, Chris, you said we had to talk Heart of the Hawk, man. This, uh, like I said, this was your baby. You, you wanted to, uh, you wanted to get together and chat about it. I mean, just kind of lay it out there for the people. Why this story? Uh, well, uh, you know, a while back, probably maybe a year ago, we decided to start doing more rather than just focusing on single issues, doing more like crossovers and like extended stories. So I knew once we made that decision that I was going to have to get this storyline in there sometime because Darkhawk, you know, he's my favorite uh, comic book character. You know, most people who may ask, I may have done this spiel before, most people who ask like, hey, who's your favorite superhero? I usually just say Captain America because like. Somebody who's not like a big comic nerd isn't even gonna know who Darkhawk is. No, they would have. Uh, no whereas clue. Captain America would really probably be more like like number five or six down the line, <laughs> because most of my favorite characters are you know like Darkhawk, Prime from the Ultraverse, right. Bad Rock, you know those guys right. that don't even really get published anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so he had this. This was his first like multi-part story really uh he had like there were a couple of issues that had spider-man guest starring with where he fought hobgoblin in, in the early issues and then there was a, a like a two-parter where lodestone who we see in this uh, story was kind of the villain but as far as like a big multi-part story this was the kind of the first one and the best one there's another one later uh we were we covered the finale of that return to forever storyline on, on an episode a few years ago right they kind of revealed the Dark Hawk origin after, you know, a couple of years of mystery and stuff. Uh, but this is the better of those two, you know, multi-part arcs. Yeah, I was just going to mention how, uh, what was it, Dark Hawk 25 or 20? Yeah, 25 was the finale of that. It had a big uh, red foil embossed cover. That's right. <laughs> Classic. That's right, baby. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so, yeah, as far as my knowledge of Dark Hawk goes... I learned a lot, obviously, hanging out with you and talking about issue 25. So I wasn't reading this character too much, I think, 
and I may have mentioned this when we did the 20, uh, that, that issue or the uh, episode on issue 25. I think Darkhawk shows up in Avengers, and I cannot remember. Oh, Avengers Arena. Thank you. Yes, yes, right. yes. That, yeah. Uh, so I remember Darkhawk showing up in that. It's that a he, smattering of appearances over the last like 20 years, 25 years, I guess. You don't see a whole lot of him. Well, let's go ahead. We'll, what we'll do is we will real quickly kind of go down through the main characters that we're going to see through this arc. Like I said, this is six issues. Chris, do me a favor. What I want to do is I'm going to throw, you know, the character out there. You kind of give us an idea of who they are and get us prepped for where they're at in this story uh, or prior to this story, I should say. So Chris Powell, we'll start with Chris Powell, the guy we all came here to talk about, Darkhawk. <laughs> So, yeah, Chris Powell, uh, he is a high school student. He was kind of like a um, Peter Parker for the 90s, I think. I think that was kind of the angle they were wanting to do with Darkhawk when they when they launched this new character. So he's a high school student. His dad is a cop, and his mother is the district attorney. He kind of stumbles upon his dad in the first issue, taking some payoffs from some mob guys, which will, you know, that comes into play in this storyline. Turns to a big scuffle, and he comes across this amulet in this, uh, scenario that gives him these uh, superpowers. So he, he uses the amulet. He can transform into the the Dark Hawk body, basically, um, which is he can shoot a big force blast out of his chest. He can turn. Uh, he can use uh, the amulet to make an energy shield to protect himself. He's got a cable claw that can help him. You, he can kind of use it like <laughs> as a Wolverine claw, or it's like a to kind of take flight with uh, some wings that he also has. So that's kind of the the gist. He's he's a high school student that's. Um, Kind of his life, his personal life's kind of in turmoil because of the stuff going on with his dad and his mom. So yeah, let's talk about his dad and his mom. His, his mom's name is Grace. Dad's name is Mike. So Grace is the district attorney. Uh, we're heading into issue ten here. Anything big happened to Grace prior to these issues that you can think of off the top of your head? Interestingly, she has uh, you know she's targeted this uh, mob boss, Philip. Uh, Felipe or Philip uh, Bazin, uh, who she's trying to prosecute, and he's the guy that was uh, sort of paying off Mike in that first issue scenario. And then Mike kind of gets caught taking a payoff, and then he runs off and disappears. So her life is obviously kind of in shambles now, but she's still trying to do her job. And now Bazin, who knows uh, she's going after him. In an issue earlier, she sent a hitman after uh, the family at like a museum, and Chris got shot in that whole thing. So she knows that like her whole family is kind of in danger, which in some ways kind of makes her seem irresponsible at points in this story. But that's kind of what's going on with her. She's trying to, to go after this guy, and she's kind of worried about where her husband is and stuff like that. So the whole family's in kind of a bad a bad way as these issues are going through going on. Yeah. So so Mike took off uh, what at the very, at the beginning of this series is that right? Yeah. That issue uh, one that happens in you know he has very we see very little of Mike up to this point. Uh, pretty much just that first issue. You uh, we see him at home with the family briefly, and then we see Chris and his brothers. Uh, stumble onto this payoff he's taken and then uh, when he gets found out he's like oh he he runs off he he's uh, kind of ashamed i guess because his kids saw him take, doing this and stuff so he runs off all right so the brother we don't see him again really until this storyline you know 10 issues nine issues later or whatever oh okay all right yeah it seemed like uh i was gonna say it seemed like he was awful surprised that you know his dad had popped back up so i mm. figured he'd have been gone for a while 
Yeah, he's kind of been on the run, hiding out since that first issue. Uh, so yeah, his brothers Jason and Jonathan. I mean, I, I assume they're there. They probably didn't play much of a big role in the first nine issues, did they? Not really. They're just, you know, Chris's little brothers. They're twins. The uh, the dark-headed one is kind of the nerdy one, and the redhead less so. But they're both, uh, you know, there are allusions to them, like, struggling what's going on with their dad and stuff like that. But they don't really play a huge part, really. Okay, okay. All right. St. Johnny, St. Johnny, this guy, I remember us talking about him in issue 20, when we talked about issue 25, he was still kind of uh, at least aloof at the beginning of that. And then we start Mm. to realize some of the big things that's going on with this guy. And of course, this is what, uh, you know, close to between 10 and 15 issues prior to that issue dropping. And the mystery abounds for sure, but kind of give us an idea who St. Johnny is going into this story. So yeah, St. Johnny is uh, like a a homeless guy who lives in this abandoned amusement park near the Powell's house. Uh, And the amusement park is where the payoff happens and and, um, Chris finds the amulet in the fun house of that amusement park. So St. Johnny was there at the very beginning in the first issue and he even um, referenced Chris as the Dark Hawk in the first issue. So that's where the name came from. Oh. So he would he would pop up. You know, Chris kind of got a feeling that St. Uh, Johnny knew more about the amulet than he was letting on. So that's why we see him uh, kind of go to him and try and get information. But St. Johnny's always kind of like at one second, it seems like he does know what's going on. And then the next, it's like he has no idea who Chris is or like what yeah. the Dark Hawk is or anything like that. So yeah, that kind of continues on up until that 25th issue. Okay. All right. His girlfriend, Chris's girlfriend, Cheryl. Now, she doesn't play a huge role in this part of the Hawk, but I mean, she's there. Cheryl, girlfriend of Chris Powell. I didn't really have much else to go on other than that. Anything that you could add to that? Um, not really. I mean, she's the girlfriend. She, yeah. her and Chris's other like high school friends and stuff pretty much just play the role of like uh, concerned friends about Chris because he's, you know, going through a tough time with his you know, the stuff with his dad and stuff like that. And um, uh, he's always kind of like debating whether he wants to tell her if he's, you know, the dark hawk or, or keep her in the dark and stuff like that. But, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's right at the beginning of the story. It's like, Oh, he's about to tell her and he doesn't. (laughs) All right, Evan, it's your turn, buddy. Do your best to tell us about tombstone. If you know much about tombstone, if not, Chris can always pop in here. Well, I know Tombstone is, uh, you know, he's one of those Spider-Man villains that always uh, seems to pop up here and there when you need a uh, we need a, a muscular guy. Speaks softly. He's, he does. <laughs> uh, pretty pretty strong. Pretty. Uh, I mean, not not to, not totally invulnerable, but uh, but pretty durable. Um, I I think uh, I probably know him most from the uh, the old uh, Fox cartoon. The Spider-Man cartoon, and lately he's he's worked his way up to a to crime boss status. I think here he was still kind of a kind of a middleman, leg breaker type, but obviously he uh, he wants to branch out on his own. So I always think of Tombstone as a strong guy in the in the New York underworld. Chris, you and I have talked a lot of Tombstone here lately. Uh, <laughs> when we were doing Dead Man's Hand, we were yeah. talking Tombstone then. And this is happening right about around that time because that whole hand thing is going on, too. Mm -hmm. He he wants to get back at the hand, and that's the whole reason he's doing what happens here in Heart of the Hawk. But um, I think my first, like, interaction or my first uh, first experience of reading anything with Tombstone in it was the spectacular—I want to say spectacular Spider-Man. I could be wrong. It might have been Web of. 
it was him and uh, Robbie Robertson. I think he has yep. like a history with him, if I remember yeah, they, correctly. they grew up together, I think. I remember the story arc where I think Robbie is in jail and Tombstone's kind of like his, either his cellmate or something. And uh, But anyway, um, so that's about the only experience I have with, uh, with Tombstone. Anything you can add to that, Chris? You know, I didn't know a whole lot about um, Tombstone outside of, you know, the few storylines he popped up in, mostly this one and, like Evan said, the old cartoon, Spider-Man cartoon. But uh, I looked up some stuff about him because I was kind of curious how he got his powers and stuff. Okay. Uh, which is the classic, you know, comic book, you know, chemical accident that uh, grants him his powers, basically. I didn't realize he is actually an albino African-American. Okay. And, you know, he's got these sharp, pointy teeth, um, which I assume was part of, like, whatever gave him his powers and stuff, which is essentially just like he's got, like, rock-hard skin. And, and like super strength. Yeah, he files his teeth like that as like an intimidation technique or whatever. Right. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Wow. Until we read Dead Man's Hand, I didn't I didn't realize that he had teeth like that. I had no idea. They I may didn't. come and go based on the artistic, you know, the artist's like renditions and stuff too, possibly. Yeah. All right. So then we got Felipe Bazin. You already kind of mentioned he's had run-ins with Grace and the Powells before. Uh, so anything else you could add to this crime lord that uh, is currently being prosecuted? Uh, that's pretty much it. You know, he's, uh, you know, because of his threats against the Powell family and stuff, Darkhawk has kind of made him a target, you know, in the early issues. Uh, he's always Makes going sense. after Bazin for one thing or another. And, uh, as a result, Bazin is also targeting Darkhawk a lot. He wants the amulet because he knows it's the source of his power and stuff like that. So, Was Allegra in the comics prior to what we get in these issues? I'm not sure where her first appearance was. I know she was in the lo- uh, the uh, storyline that had Lodestone's first run-in with Darkhawk. Okay. So that Allegra would have been issues seven and eight. So right. she was there for at least that early. Yeah, Allegra is... Felipe's daughter. So she is in these issues because her dad's going to court and uh, she's there to support her father. So that's all I have in regards to characters here that we're going to be running into, at least in these first two issues. I've read a a couple of the early issues and then um, I came in right after this. So um, it it was kind of interesting to to fill in some of these. I, I, I knew some of the basics. Darkhawk's one of those that I've been picking up trying to complete the whole run of at different shows uh, and, you know, stores I go to and everything. So I've, I've got a, got a big chunk of them. So I was able to, to pu- pull these out and finally uh, read through them. Oh, you know, I, I will say, Jesse, we actually started, I think one issue too late for you. Cause the Punisher's on the cover of issue nine. No. <laughs> oh, well, I know he's yeah. mentioned uh, in this book <laughs> and I was wondering when that happened, because that's where, uh, what's his, Sergeant Steel or whatever the name is? Uh, I can't remember his name already. Savage, I, I, Savage Steel. Savage, Savage Steel shows up, but I, I'm, I know the Punisher was mentioned by Darkhawk at that point. So I assume Savage Steel was in that issue, and that's what happened, or is this happening some some other that, way? Yeah, Savage Steel appeared first in issue four, and then came back in issue nine, which is the Punisher issue. Because a lot of these early Darkhawk issues, there were a lot of guest stars. Uh, the first, or, or sorry, issues two and three both had Spider Man. And then issue uh, six had Daredevil and Captain America. And then issue nine had the Punisher. So uh, a lot of Darkhawk interacting with, you know, established heroes and stuff. And right. showing his 
rookie mistakes and all this stuff uh, in the early issues and, you know, boosting sales. I'm sure it was the main reason those guys <laughs> popping in. It, it helps legitimize a hero, too. I mean, you when yeah. you're palling around with some of the more established guys, that's going to help establish that. I'm looking at that cover right now. I don't I don't mind the way Manly drew Frank there on the front. Looks pretty good. Yeah. Looks pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go into issues 10 and 11, the first two parts of this story. So I'm going to do my best to uh, do a quick synopsis here. Uh, Boy, I wrote a lot and I apologize. I don't know (laughs) if this is too long or not, but we're going to, we're going to, let's just see how this goes. That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network, for that free 30-day trial. Uh, So let us start with Chris's mom, District Attorney Grace Powell, who is currently involved in a case to convict crime lord Felipe Bazin. However things begin to get dangerous when a car bomb meant for her explodes, hospitalizing her son, Jason. Enraged, Chris becomes Dark Hawk to go confront Felipe, but learns that his mom's key witness is about to be killed. Trying to stop this before it happens, Dark Hawk fights off some armored assassins, but due to the trauma of the attack, the witness dies of an apparent heart attack anyway. A couple of days later in court, Chris sees his dad, Mike, there. Even though he hasn't seen him in a long while, Mike blows Chris off. I didn't say blows Chris off. He just he, he takes off out of there uh, and leaves. Desperate for some answers about the amulet that gives him his powers, Darkhawk goes looking for St. Johnny. When he reaches the abandoned amusement park, he realizes that the villain Tombstone has beaten him there and is attacking St. Johnny, looking to acquire the same amulet that resides in Darkhawk's chest. The two begin to fight with Tombstone near impervious to any of Darkhawk's attacks. He soon goes for the amulet. However, out of nowhere, Tombstone is stalled by some tear gas and a mysterious figure who says he had the amulet before, but runs off without much saying much else. Undeterred, Tombstone finds Darkhawk and continues the fight. Tombstone tells Darkhawk he wants to get back at the hand and the amulet may hold the power he requires to get his revenge. Just as Darkhawk seems to be getting control, Tombstone rips out the amulet from Darkhawk's chest and looks to kill Chris. Now, checking back in here real quick with Grace, things aren't going well in court as witnesses now are becoming hard to find they're beginning to change their story. So the case against Felipe is, is kind of crumbling in front of her. Not only that, I mean, she's got the added stress with her son being in the hospital and knowing that the guy she's prosecuting is probably the one that put her, put him there. Cheryl, Chris's girlfriend has a little bit of a run in with Allegra, Felipe's daughter in the courtroom. Felipe is not happy. Yells uh, that uh, actually takes his daughter aside and says, what are you doing? You know, you got to kind of keep a low profile. Uh, But then Allegra decides, okay, well, she shows up and just slaps Cheryl in front of everybody in the courtroom. So (laughs) she doesn't exactly keep a low profile. Wonder why she did that. I don't know. And let's talk about the brothers, John and Jason Powell. Uh, Of course, Jason's at the hospital uh, and John's there for support, obviously. And I think he also doesn't have anywhere else to go, considering his dad's not home and his mom's at the courtroom all the time. So John's kind of hanging out at the hospital with his brother. Uh, But someone shows up to finish the job and looks to kill Jason. But luckily, Mike shows up, saves the day, and then runs off again. 
But the damage is done. Apparently, Jason, the doctor, tells John that Jason may not make it. So there you go. That is Darkhawk issues 10 and 11. First two parts of this story right there in a nutshell. Evan, we'll start with you, man. What are your thoughts here on our first two parts of this story? Well, like I said, I knew a little. I mean, I I knew some about Darkhawk and had read a couple of the early issues. But I I thought they did a really good job in this issue and, and really in this era of comics catching you up and making sure you understood what was going on without having to read, um, you know, everything that, that came before. I mean, you know, we, we got the cliff notes version. It probably helped that, that I understood who some of these characters were, but I, I forgot about Chris's girlfriend. I forgot he had brothers or that there were two of them. And I, I felt like, you know, they did a really good job either with, you know, the, the editor's notes or just some expositional dialogue that wasn't too clunky. Just, just letting you know wherever he, but he fits in like um, when he fights off the uh, the guys in the armor at uh, the the safe house. You know, he, he, he's like, hey, I, you know, I, I, I took these guys on and I didn't have anybody else helping me out. So we, we get an idea, you know, that he's worked with other heroes. He's he's still kind of new. It, it just, you know, tells us uh, a lot about him pretty quickly. Um, and I, I thought that was good. You know, it, it references the Punisher. And, you know, the, the other thing that I think is pretty neat about this is they really balance you know, at first you'll get some of the conversations. It's like there's a hobgoblin, there's tombstone. You know, later, uh, later on, venom pops up, and you're like, oh, is he just you know taking care of Spider-Man's leftovers or whatever? But right. they do a really good job establishing his own supporting cast and his place in the Marvel universe. I mean, this this story works even if it's not in the Marvel universe, if it was just a dark Hawk only story, you know, like back in the olden days when, you know, two superheroes never appeared in the same movie uh, or, or, or any, anything like that. So I, I think that that's pretty interesting. Um, the way they do that is establishing him in the Marvel universe, but he's got his own story and supporting cast. They do a good job of balancing that. The assassins show up to kill that guy and he lives at, or they apparently have the safe house in Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. I didn't have, I wasn't completely lost when I started reading this. I was worried I was going to be the, <laughs> I could pick this up and I, I could be in the middle of Dark Hawk's fight for something and kind of understand easily, okay, what's he doing? And we even have, you know, Tombstone who is upset about the hand. That's all we needed to know. We didn't need to know yeah. like anything else. We didn't need any of that mystical stuff as to yeah. what's going on. We just know Tombstone wants the amulet because it's powerful and he thinks it's going to help him. And they give you the little asterisk with the editor's note to whatever issue of Daredevil his problem with the hand happens. So if you want right. to, go yes, you mm-hmm. can. You don't that have helps. to, but you can if you want to. Tombstone ripping that amulet out. <laughs> uh, Chris, I mean, did you think that was going to happen at all? Uh, I mean, this is going back 20 or almost 30 years now, I guess. So yeah. I don't remember, but I do remember when it did happen, I was just like blown away. And right. you really don't know anything about how the amulet works, where it came from. Like, it's all kind of a mystery. And so just like Chris's perspective, like you're like, what happens now? Like, is he going right. to like, is that going to kill him? I mean, it seems like it probably would. Yeah. Just like you said, there's a big mystery as to how it's going to affect him because now see that's one thing that i don't and they don't really go into a lot in this comic other than the fact that he turns into dark hawk uh and when tombstone takes the amulet he cannot change back into chris is the suit appearing around him 
and he's still alive inside the suit or is he, uh, uh, you know, is, when he pulls this thing out, is it attached to his body somehow? Mm-hmm. You have no clue. You have no clue. It was established in earlier issues that the amulet, there's kind of like a healing effect where he can, if he gets hurt, like there was an, an issue uh, earlier in the series where he get it, his hand was like blown off in a fight, I think with Savage Steel, actually. He changed back to Chris, and when he changed back to Darkhawk, the hand had been healed and he was like whole again. Um, okay. It doesn't work the same way with Chris. Like when he got shot by that assassin I referenced earlier, he got shot in the leg. When he changes to Darkhawk and then back to Chris, he still has like the wound in his leg. So yeah. that's just another like element of like, well, what's going on here? Well, another piece of the puzzle. Right, right. Had they shown him, because there's a couple scenes we'll come up on without his helmet. Had they, had they shown that yet? I, I can't remember if we knew at this point, spoiler alert, that he was actually switching bodies. There is an issue uh, where he takes the helmet off and looks uh, in the mirror and the view, like the reader never sees it, but he's like horrified by what he sees. I think in the issue, maybe issue 12 in this one, he he makes a point to like not look, <laughs> you know, because right. he doesn't want to see it again because it freaked him out so badly the first time. They really like to keep that mystery going, uh, which I, yeah. I appreciate. I appreciate that, especially, you know, the part where I talked about how somebody sh- shoots tear gas at Tombstone. I don't think mm-hmm. it's revealed that it's St. Johnny. I don't believe, is it? I, I think, I think it's can... implied that it's the previous wielder who okay. he kind of rescues Chris at that point. I mean, and it doesn't so, show who shot the grenade or the tear and, gas, whatever. But. Exactly. The guy shows up and says, yeah, I used to be the owner of the amulet. And then he, he gets out of there. And yeah. the only person that sees it is Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chris is the only one that sees it. You and he knows, and that's what drives me nuts a little bit about this. Is like Chris knows exactly who this guy is. We didn't get the reader doesn't get to see him. But I, and but again, I appreciate it too. I, I like that. I like the way they kind of add to the mystery and keep adding to the mystery. Uh, I like in issue in issue ten, the first part they establish right away. They kind of set up the two main storylines, which is you know Darkhawk and his conflict with Tombstone. And then the trial stuff that's going on the Grace and Basin, which is a kind of a cool. It's a, I think the uh, the trial stuff is a, is a cool angle um, for a, a superhero comic. Um, you know the the car bomb, uh, like I referenced earlier, they'd already been the target of an assassin previously. So, like, what is Grace doing? Like, hey, go start right. the car. There are no cops protecting the house or anything. Just. <laughs> going on like life is is normal, uh, which is kind of like car bombs were like the assassination attempt du jour in the early nineties. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't read this, and she's like, "Go out and start the car," and I'm like, well, "What if there's a bomb in it?" Before <laughs> even turn the page. Yeah, so I, it's it's just kind of makes her seem uh, a little less responsible than you would think she should be. Uh, I do I like the fights. You know, there's a lot of action in in this first issue, especially uh, before he even gets to Tombstone. Uh, he fights some thugs, basically, in an alley. Uh, and then he has the armored, uh, the fight with the armored guys, who I don't think have appeared in anything except for this issue. They reference them as working for the foreigner, who is a, like a Spider-Man uh, character. You know, he, he talks about how, you know, I beat him on my own, no help from anybody else. Because like, like I said earlier, he's had all these guest stars. Even in the issues where it's just been him, and he's like when he fought Lodestone uh, in those issues... 
I guess he technically won the day in that in that story, but it wasn't really uh, on his own, even though there were no other superheroes in that that particular story. So he's never really had any success <laughs> on his own outside of beating up drug dealers and stuff like that. So he took a lot of obviously took a lot of pride in that, which was a cool step for a young superhero and stuff. Evan, who are the UFOs? I think they're they're sort of like a twisted version of the Fantastic Four. Um, okay. They're they're mainly Hulk villains uh, empowered by different like kinds of radiation. I mean, in 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 what I've read about them, their their team name is by far the coolest uh, aspect. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it, it, they're, they're kind of like enemies of the Hulk. I, I think they got wrapped up in some Gamma stuff, but also sort of like a an alternate Fantastic Four. Got it. Just kind of a tail of the tape uh, deal on Tombstone versus uh, Darkhawk. I looked up the Marvel trading cards for Tombstone. His strength is listed as a four. All facts. And his durability right. is a five. Uh, Darkhawk's strength is a four as well. That's Marvel really? Series 2. So they're comparable uh, as far as like their their strength. And for those of you who uh, are familiar with the old uh, TSR Marvel superheroes role playing game, when I needed to tra- use those trading cards to translate them, uh, four was incredible forty because <laughs> uh, I didn't have any Darkhawk stats, so I had to use the trading cards to uh, to translate ah. uh, Darkhawk uh, in there. I, I believe that's Spider Man level strength, if I'm not second mistaken. second phase rip mention that i've heard over the weekend so yeah <laughs> yesterday i heard one and today i've heard one something the universe is telling me something <laughs> so start start an old uh, phase rip uh play along podcast in all your oh, spare time well there is there is legitimately a phase rip podcast out there i don't know if oh, i've man. ever shared that with you but there is a phase <laughs> rip podcast so uh, uh yeah, it, yeah but they're it, not likely to have me on that's why i want you to do one <laughs> Uh, Talk to them. I'm sure they'll make room. <laughs> uh, all right, Chris, go ahead. Sorry about that, Chris. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. Again, the trial thing. Obviously, Daredevil is a lawyer, so I'm sure there was some like trial stuff in his books that I, you know, I've never really been a had never been a big uh, Dar- uh, Daredevil guy until basically the late '90s, early 2000s. But this was new to me, like seeing this kind of trial interaction court stuff. Procedural, yeah, court procedural yeah. type acting, yeah. And that was kind of like in the zeitgeist, I guess, or whatever, because like I looked it up and courtroom drama stuff was taken off around this time. Court TV launched in 1991, which was the same year this uh, storyline started. Uh, Law and Order had started in 1990 and the John Grisham books were just starting to come out in like the late 80s, early 90s. And then those movies uh, obviously started coming out in the early 90s as well. So that was kind of like a big part of like pop culture uh, around this time. So I guess that's one of the reasons they kind of were cashing in on that too. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. That's really neat. All right. Well, anything else there before we get into the next two issues? Uh, Just reiterate that that splash page with him ripping the amulet out is epic. (laughs) Oh, wow. He tries at it twice. Of course, the first time, like I said, he gets, he gets shot at with some tear gas. And I mean, it looks like he is, about to rip it out of his chest at that point you're just thinking well you know dark hawk's going to be able to stop him from doing this there ain't going to be any problem and then (laughs) i mean yeah he rips that thing out and tombstone looks like a a man possessed and it i don't it's not blood but there is definitely some damage happening to dark hawk uh, it looks yeah, like basically a bunch of green goo, like spurting out of the chest cavity. There. Yeah. It's antifreeze. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Okay. All right. Let's go ahead. We'll hit in these next two issues here. This is issues 12 and 13. Yeah. I guess before I get into this, we, we were just, we, we talked about Savage Steel. Chris, you, you said there was an interaction with Savage Steel prior to this. Give me an idea who Savage, what Savage Steel meant to Dark Hawk prior to this story. Uh, we we kind of get the origin of the Savage Steel armor and stuff later in this. Uh, up to this point, I think issue four was his first appearance, and he shows up and basically kills some, I think, drug dealers uh, or, or drug runners, maybe. Um, he's basically presented as sort of a Punisher with a low-rent Iron Man armor, essentially. And then he shows up again in the issue that the Punisher guest stars in. And even though... He kind of is playing it the same way as the Punisher, just killing. His mission is to basically kill criminals. He sees the Punisher as a criminal as well. Obviously, kind of uh, a con- conflicting uh, views <laughs> right. a little bit there. But yeah, he's he's essentially Punisher with armor. Okay. Well, as Darkhawk is still steel, still reeling from having the amulet ripped from his body, Tombstone looks to kill him. But St. Johnny reappears, changing his arm into a blaster, shooting Tombstone in the chest. Already in possession of what he came for, Tombstone retreats with Darkhawk's amulet. St. Johnny takes Darkhawk into the sewers to try to help him recover, but Darkhawk leaves shortly after, worried about his brother Jason. Donning a trench coat and hat he got from breaking into his own house, Darkhawk wraps his chest up to stem the mysterious energy that is leaking out of him out of him and heads to the hospital to check on Jason only to learn from his brother, John, that Jason may be dying back in court. Things take a crazy turn when Felipe's own son takes the stand and testifies against his father. After the testimony, the jury then finds Felipe guilty, but as the sentence is passed through the walls, bursts Savage Steel to execute Felipe. Darkhawk arrives at the same moment and stops Savage Steel from killing Bazin, but this gives Felipe the time to escape by a uh, just-appearing helicopter. Grabbing onto the hanging ladder... Felipe is surprised to see Mike Powell grabbing onto the bottom rung as well. Chris watches helplessly as his dad flies away. Now Chris has to work to find him, and after kicking over a few criminal rocks, Darkhawk finds out Bazin is most likely on an island in the Caribbean called Althea Island. Sneaking onto a plane, Darkhawk is found out mid-flight and gets into a fight with some of the crime lord's underlings, resulting in the plane crashing. Even though his power is waning, Darkhawk is able to walk away from the crash. But unfortunately, he is soon attacked by Venom, who is wondering why Darkhawk has invaded his island home. Meanwhile, Tombstone is having, uh, he's, he's basically trying anything to understand and harness the power of Darkhawk, Darkhawk's amulet, but he's having no luck whatsoever. After all the insanity at court, Grace is still trying to cope with her son Jason being in the hospital, but it hasn't stopped her from investigating the savage steel attack at the courtroom. And when she sees a group of people unloading the armor, she plans to call the police, but is captured by one of the men. Uh, also, Allegra, checking in on Allegra here, we find out she ain't so bad after all because she's the one that convinced her brother to testify against her father. Uh, so even though I, 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 the way that I took it was that it was like a big production when she went up and slapped Cheryl. I don't think that was, you guys might have a different view of it, but I think she did it in order to kind of throw off uh, her dad. Allegra's not so bad after all. She, she got her dad into jail. So that's where we end issues 12 and 13. So we're going to start with you, Chris. Evan had sent that message about the coloring and stuff. 
um, which I think was from this issue, um, with like the weird look of the blues and blacks and yeah, stuff. I can't if it was this one or, or one before, but I know. Dark uh, yeah, but like I mean, mine, mine looks the same way, and I think what it might uh, be is just like a coloring issue because of like the shift to like a higher quality paper. Because the early issues of Dark Ark especially are on like that really crappy newsprint. Like they look terrible now. <laughs> They're all like uh, muddy and like dirty looking, you know. Mm. Um, and I think maybe there was something with them switching off to the higher quality paper in like the early '90s, uh, where the coloring wasn't quite right yet. I've got a trade paperback of the Todd McFarlane solo uh, adjectiveless uh, uh, Spider-Man issues, and they're all on glossy paper in that trade paperback. And a lot of the dark black and dark blue stuff is really odd looking i'll send you guys some pictures of that uh, they look really weird in the, on the glossy paper which was different from the paper that was printed on in the in the 90s and stuff so i think there's something to do with the coloring uh is why that stuff looks that way but yeah darkhawk 12 actually i noticed that this is the month of the price hike where the good old one dollar an issue uh, marvel comics went up to 125 Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you're big right. Big jump for um, a 10 year old, 11 year old this time. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's when that happened. More of the like weird stuff with St. Johnny, you know, his arm turns into, you know, a laser rifle, basically. And, you know, Darkhawk can't get a straight answer out of him. He's got this energy just leaking out of his body, which is a really cool. Artistically, I really like the, the look of those like dark you know black and purple bubbles and like all oh, that yeah. energy it's very cool effect given how like the dark hawk origin is eventually revealed in 20 issue 25 i wonder how much uh finger off was just kind of making up pulling a lost basically just throwing a bunch right. of crazy stuff in the right. early issues and then when it comes time to actually have to finally reveal everything a lot of it doesn't really add up but it was a good journey, just like Lost. It was a, it was the journey, not the destination on that. Yeah, I, I want to talk about St. Johnny real quick and just how, again, he's, he's a, an enigma wrapped in a mystery. When you got him shooting Tombstone with his arm that turned into a laser and then Darkhawk's like, hey, uh, where'd that come from? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, are you, I, I, what, you have, what are you talking about, man? And I was like, literally okay. seconds later. <laughs> I know, dude. It's like right after that. So, okay. All right, St. Johnny, whatever you say, brother. And I think that's pretty much what Darkhawk feels like. Darkhawk, I think, Chris knows, like, it is almost impossible to get answers from this guy, which is funny <laughs> because he shows up there in the first place to try and get answers from this guy. <laughs> and then he just continues to get, like, uh, every time he asks him a question, hey, you know, this guy is just, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I, you know, I, yeah, I turned into a robot. No, no, I didn't happen. <laughs> but, yeah, inter good old St. Johnny. Crazy stuff. So Bazin, I don't know if he would actually be in prison uh, while his trial is going on, but I like the touch of him. Uh, he, he basically takes over the warden's office. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hanging out in the warden's office, being served uh, cake while he's on the phone with his daughter, just showing you that there's different uh, rules for the uh, the rich and powerful. <laughs> I, I also like how Chris, uh, you know, he's stuck in this dark hawk body, but he wants to see his family. So he's basically pulling a Ninja Turtles and throwing <laughs> a trench coat and hat on over this massive android uh, type body. Uh, but it works, you know, the scarf covers all, I guess. 
Yeah, that's where you learn that his voice changes, apparently, which you, you may never even knew that happened. With yeah, his, his word balloons or whatever have a different, like, look to them, but, you know, you can't, you, you don't hear it, you know, <laughs> you just, it's right. a different effect of, you know, reading it. Yeah, his brother says, your voice sounds different. Oh, yeah, I got a cold. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I sound like a robot when I get congested. All right. Um, I, I, that's the way I, I picture it. That. <laughs> that's the way I picture it. So I was right saying that Allegra's, Allegra was doing a production when she slapped Cheryl, correct? You know, I don't know because her persona is more of like a bratty teenager, like, okay. uh, and, and she's not a good person. <laughs> like, okay. her other interactions with, her interaction with Cheryl kind of seems typical for her personality anyway. Like, she just has no patience for people who aren't, she's not benefiting from, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Does, does Allegra go to school? Because she's about Chris's age, right? I don't, I think she might be uh, in college. Okay. Uh, I, I can't I, remember. I, could, I couldn't remember for sure. Because, I, I mean, she she hangs around in the book for a while. Yeah, she she's, yeah, there's a lot more interactions with her and Chris later down the line. I, I thought, thought they picked up the pace a lot. Um, I, I enjoyed the first couple issues, but I almost felt like that that could have been squeezed into one issue. Back back in this era, you didn't get part one of four or part one of six or whatever very often, unless it was a big deal. I mean, nowadays, yeah, the beast is combing out his fur. Part one of three, um, <laughs> you know, every, everything's getting getting ready for the for the trade. And, and maybe it was just cut, coming into it cold. But that first issue, especially, just just almost felt a. Other than you know his little brother with the car bomb, it almost felt just like a, a pretty standard issue. It didn't didn't feel like it it had earned the the six part treatment yet. It really starts to to pick up in, into high gear here. Um, although now now I'm going to harp on one detail in <laughs> issue eleven and twelve, they both say guest starring Tombstone. Oh, it's like guest starring Tombstone. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, just, it was just, and it, it's weird that that it they did they did it twice. Yeah, it's like I. I I don't know. I mean, he, he is holding the amulet. Does that make him dark talk? Maybe. Um, the, the term guest star is usually reserved for, you know, other heroes. Other <laughs> yeah. heroes. Right. Right. Yeah. So so it's, it's I mean, he, he's not the only villain. Also, I, I really like, like I said, this was the first time I'd read this, but I, I picked these up at different shows and I'd seen this covered to number 12 several times. I mean, that really tells you everything that, that that's going on, you know, with the amulet missing and stuff. And how about those rats on the cover? I mean, those oh things are almost gosh. scarier looking than Tombstone. <laughs> yeah, um, dude, that, that one down at the bottom looks horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking speaking of covers, I love the cover to issue thirteen uh, with with Venom. It, it it's really weird. I I can't decide the, how I feel about the way Manly draws his face because mm -hmm. like on the one hand it's really distinctive, it's almost cartoony, but then it's like, well look what Venom is all teeth and tongue and green drool. I mean you know how how are you supposed to draw that that realistically? And then with the the webs over Darkhawk's face, you know, still still hiding the face, keeping that air of mystery. I, I just I, think that is is an excellent cover. Those eyes on Venom are definitely different. I yeah. you don't usually you see them much more. They're they're supposed to look menacing, but I've never seen them look like you know. It's like they've random like salt that, teeth. They've got like that jagged outline on the on the outside um, of the of the whites there. That's yeah. It, it's definitely it's it's a seems like a manly twist. I don't think I've seen that anywhere else. <laughs> well, that's because he's down in the Caribbean and uh, the sun's in his eyes, and uh, <laughs> it affects 
Do I, do I get a no prize? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In the story itself, um, I, I, I thought it was interesting. It, for, for a minute, I just thought maybe it was, you know, inconsistent writing, but I, I think it was actually kind of intentional. The way Chris is just all over the place, like when he's getting getting the stuff from his house and all bandaged up and he, he'd, he'd fallen asleep, he's thinking to himself, uh, help the world, right? On my one long ego trip as Darkhawk. I swear if I live through this, I will help. I'll make a difference. Okay, and then two minutes later, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be better. You know, I'm having this near-death experience. I'm, I'm going to be the hero I want to be. And then two minutes later, he's grabbing St. Johnny going, I'm going to kill you if you don't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> For a minute, I'm like, man, he the writing's all over the place. But I, I think that's what that's where Chris is. I don't remember how much they, they get into this. And again, it's been so long since I've read the, the issues I read. But in more recent Marvel comics, they've talked about, like, how being Darkhawk really put a lot of stress on Chris mentally and how he really struggled with it. And I didn't remember that, you know, 20 years later, but, but I mean, in, in these issues, you see, he, he's just all over the place, you know, we're an issue or two removed from him telling the Punisher, Hey, you don't kill people. And then he's like, I'm going to kill Bazin or Bazin. <laughs> I'm going to kill St. Johnny. Mm. I'm going to put this dude's face on a grill till he talks. <laughs> I'm going to kill Venom just cause, you know, he, he's, he's all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like I said, I, I think that, I think that's intentional. I don't think it's just, you know, finger off going, okay, well, he's a hero. Oh, now I need him to say something cool. I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's, there, there were some pretty, you know, in, intentional choices in this. Yeah. A, uh, as with uh, Darkhawk's complete inability to banter and threaten people. You know, like when, he, when he shows up on the plane, he's like, well, to quote Gomer Pyle, <laughs> as surprise, all the cool kids in the surprise. 90s were doing. Uh, well, I, I'd do it yeah. today. <laughs> I, I, I'm not besmirching Gomer Pyle's reputation. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know how many teenagers in space armor would be, uh, you know. <laughs> But but I mean, hey, he's uh, he's a new he's new at it. He hasn't had a chance to you know take a bantering and improv class with Spider-Man. One other sign of the times, I think it was in in issue twelve. You mentioned the testimony changing. They said, "Oh, why are you changing your story?" And he goes, "Oh, I, I guess you misunderstood. I I got one of them uh, bad long distance carriers." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy, that's some good '90s stuff right there. This is six issues of Dark Hawk, early '90s. I don't think I got one '90s not reference. And I always, I always appreciate a 90s not reference. Didn't happen in here. Now, we're going to talk about Venom real quick before we get into these next two issues. So we might as well do it here. I mean, Venom shows up like at the very end of this thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Venom, hot property at this time. Yeah. It, definitely, if he's showing up in a book, he's going to be most uh, people are going to pay attention. But we kind of even a guest star. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring up the Venom thing, which is it's interesting I, I, I had to check because I was thinking this must have been a pretty early Venom like appearance outside of Spider-Man books in 1990, uh, late 91, early 92. I tried to find confirmation of that, and I found a website called the Complete Marvel Reading Order. I've heard of that. And if I'm if I'm reading this correctly, the first time Venom appeared outside of a Spider-Man book was in Quasar number six in '89. Okay. okay. Uh, and then there, the next one besides the Spider-Man appearances was Darkhawk number thirteen. Okay. Well, sorry, uh, the 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 graphic novel, The Vault, uh, which was a one shot, uh, and then Darkhawk after that. So outside of the Spider-Man appearances uh, and that graphic novel of The Vault, this yeah. was the first Venom appearance outside of a Spider-Man book. So we actually talked about this 
on one of the Carnage episodes that we did, at least what's kind of going on here, where Venom is at. Uh, this is, and this is explained in this book, which is great. But Venom has been left alone on an island thinking that Peter Parker, or I should say, thinking that Spider-Man's dead. On the unspoken issues that we covered, uh, I think it was the second Carnage arc. Maybe it was the first. Maybe, maybe it was the first. Uh, but anyway. The first one is when Venom comes back from the island. Yeah, uh, okay. Spider-Man and the Torch go and like, recruit him. That's right, yeah. So at that time, you know, that's where I found out, like, oh, crap. You know, the, he, Venom's been away, and he thinks that Spider-Man's been dead this whole time. And we're kind of like in an adventure uh, that includes Venom on this island. I'm curious as to how much other uh, stories are told about Venom on, doing solo stuff on this island. <laughs> If there are any, this might be the only one. I wasn't familiar with it, but even in the recent Venom arc that uh, Donny Donny Cates did, um, he went back to the island. I think oh, when he? He, he was he was fighting Carnage, they they made some re- some reference to it, and I may have heard about it here or there, but that that's the first time I, I was really familiar with it. Yeah, Venom showing up here in this thing is pretty cool. Uh, you know, he's going to have. Chris is going to have his hands full. I mean, if, as if he isn't like hurt enough, he, you know, he's leaking freaking purple energy from his chest. And now he's got to fight venom of all people. So, you know, it's going almost like bad to worse. I, I, I like, like you did uh, what you mentioned about the, the mystery They're They're maintaining the mystery. Um, I, I agree with, with Chris. Dark Hawk definitely seems like a, you know, kind of early '90s uh, update of, of Peter Parker, but he's not—he's not just Peter Parker. I mean, his uh, you know, Peter Parker has bad luck, but his dad's not on the take, and you know, his family's not getting blown up by by car bombs. You've even got almost a little element of Wolverine besides the the cable claw, but just just with this this ongoing mystery. You know that that keeps keeps building up, and you keep getting hints at. And then with the courtroom, you, you got a dash of a daredevil thrown in there. So there's there's familiar elements, but it's you know it's 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 pretty interesting what they do with it. And then like I said, I I remember reading retroactively about you know Chris's kind of mental struggles with Darkhawk, but this this really illustrated it without you know without him going oh being Darkhawk is tearing me apart. I am <laughs> wanting to be a hero, and it it. It, it fits in really naturally. I just wanted to point out, you know, Grace is still uh, involved pretty heavily. You know, she's trying to track down the guys that are smuggling the armor out and she gets caught. Like, even though the trial stuff uh, ended in the last issue, they're keeping her like active in the story, which is kind of cool to to keep that thread going. <laughs> How is there not a cop with her? Or some, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know they hired that one dude who was, was in the Savage Steel armor in court, but I mean, she hired him on her own. It's like, where it's like, well, the DA handling this high profile case has, you know, <laughs> been blown up and shot at, and maybe somebody should keep an eye on her. I want to say, even uh, it's possible in one of the earlier issues that uh, she refused to have like a police escort because she, th- she didn't want to. S- it just seemed like she was intimidated or something. I may be imagining that or, or conflict or let's, confusing. Let's, that with go with that. let's go with that. Let's go with that. Cause I, I like the story. <laughs> I don't either, want to it. It would, would be fine if it was just her or maybe her and her husband, but you got three kids. <laughs> I, well, she's got I wanna... twins so she can afford to send one to check the car. And it's... <laughs> uh, man, I, I do want to point out that the, the one of the screenshots that I posted on Twitter was grace at the coffee machine. <laughs> Poor. Okay, so poor John's in the back. You know, kids 
number one, this is kind of an accurate portrayal of a child trying to deal with trauma, uh, especially in, in order to comfort their parent. You know, mom, it's going to be all right. I promise it's going to be all right. You know, this kid doesn't know that. But where Grace is sitting at the coffee machine and she's like, OK, I admit it. She's saying this out loud. OK, I admit it. Maybe I am a little stressed, too. But we'll get through this. We will. And then in a thought bubble, she says, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Grace, I think a lot of people probably say something and think the other all the time. Um, relatable panel. Yes, indeed. I, th- I think I'm going to die. Uh, all right. Here we go. Issues 14 and 15 of Dark Hawk, uh, the final two parts of this story. Well, hey, oh, b- before we get into it, we already talked about Venom. We talked about why he's uh, why he is uh, where he's at here, why he thinks uh, Spider-Man's dead and, and why exactly he's stranded on this island. Lodestone is going to be popping up in the synopsis here. Give me an idea here, Chris, again, who Lodestone is or what in the world. Because uh, she shows up for, I think, a, a few a cup of coffee basically here and then gets dispatched pretty quickly. But uh, Lodestone part of Polaris. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That's all I know about her. Go, go for it. Chris. <laughs> she, I mean, she's essentially just Bazin's uh, personal super powered bodyguard, um, which he has, con- he, he uh, used his, you know, vast fortune uh, to basically give her these magnetic, uh, superpower. She's kind of like a low rent Magneto type. He use he has a device that um, he can kind of use to control her, to so she won't betray him and stuff. So she's kind of like uh, almost his superpowered uh, servant. Okay. All right. All right. Well, so here we go with the conclusion of Heart of the Hawk. As Dark Hawk tangles with Venom, he tries to stay alive. However. When Darkhawk is weakened for a moment, Venom attacks. The leaking energy from Darkhawk's chest causes Venom to pause, giving Darkhawk the chance to overtake him and apparently knock him out. And I got in parentheses, not really. And we'll talk. I'm going to try to remember to bring that up. Finding a boat, Darkhawk tries to escape the island, but soon realizes the boat is taking him in circles. So he lands the boat back onto the island. But he's soon confronted by some thugs that work for Basin. Darkhawk makes quick work of these guys, but realizes he made it. Uh, he's made it where he wants. He wanted to go. Finding his dad, Chris tries to rescue him from Felipe and his men. Felipe then calls out Lodestow to deal with Darkhawk, but Mike, Dar- uh, Chris's dad, tries to attack Basin in the process and gets stabbed for it. When Bazin turns his gun toward Darkhawk, Mike is able to get a gun himself and shoot and kill Bazin before he, he can get off the killing shot. Meanwhile, Darkhawk manages to expend a good bit of his own power, nailing Lodestone with a Dark Force blast. Chris makes his way over to his dad, who begs him to stop others like Bazin, who might take his place and then dies in his son's arms. Darkhawk plans to get up and make it home, but collapses at the edge of the beach, and when he awakens, he is surrounded by the local military. But he is able to escape by hopping on a local plane uh, and heads to New York. I love how he gets on the plane and everybody's like, ah, oh, don't worry, man, you're good. He's in <laughs> costume and everything. And they're like, ah, oh, he's afraid they're going to be scared of him. No, man, take a seat. You're, you're good. Just uh, just hang out with us. We'll be glad to get you there. Oh, the the um, pilot's from his neighborhood. That's right. That's right. Uh, arriving at New York, Chris is led by his suit to find Tombstone and the amulet. Hitting Tombstone with some high voltage, Darkhawk knocks him out and takes the amulet back. However, it won't repair itself. Accepting the fact that he may be dying, Chris heads back to the hospital as Darkhawk to be with his family. When he reaches there, he learns his mom hasn't been there in some time, discovering she was captured by some of the same men that were involved with his dad. Darkhawk finds and rescues his mom. 
stumbling into an alleyway after guiding Grace to the police, I believe is what happens. Chris grabs his father's diary that he took from his house uh, earlier and begins to read. He learns his father partnered with other cops to develop the Savage Steel Armor to become vigilantes. In order to create it, though, the officers were on the take from Felipe Bazin. But soon, others in the group began to take it too far, killing criminals. Wanting to get away, Mike was looking to get one last payoff and leave. After realizing this was the day Chris became Darkhawk, Chris looks down to see the amulet has turned him back into his human form. Checking back in with his family, Chris finds out Jason is going to be okay and that his mom is already aware of his father's death. Afterwards, Chris struggles with throwing the amulet away, but decides to carry on for his father and fight crime as Darkhawk. Well, great, great action here. You know, I said it, it started out a little slow. It definitely did not finish uh, slow. Um, you know, the, the the fight with with Venom was good, and uh, even though I'm like, okay, I know it's Darkhawk's book, but he, he took down Venom awful quick, and it turns out Venom's just like, ah, he's he's a good kid. I, I was just done fighting him. Um, <laughs> you know, he's like. Uh, he, you know, Darkhawk's like, oh, no, I killed him. Well, OK, that's terrible. And then Venom's like, oh, he's probably going to die anyway. Just uh, let him go do his thing. I like that, that it, it, it made sense that he won, that, that, you know, Venom was like, OK, let's, yeah. let's, let's just a, move on. The... Then, uh, you know, you, you get get some more of, of Darkhawk um, with his uh, his his rookie uh, superhero banner there. Mason is, is telling the people to, to finish him up. He's like, uh, he's like, oh, I still want to study you, but I've decided it'd be more convenient to do it to your remains. And Darkhawk goes, Baz, man, when I finish with you, there won't be any remains remaining. <laughs> and, and, and again, at first I was like, oh, come on, man, that's. And then, and then I'm like, no, I, I think uh, I think Darkhawk's just really bad at trash talk. I, I, <laughs> I think that was intentional. You know, and then the next page, Lodestone's hurling uh, Jeeps at him and he goes, no, you can open that junkyard you always dreamed of, Phil. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I can just, I can just see Spider Man going, oh no, man, you're, you're <laughs> even even Basin's giving him crap for it. When Lodestone has Darkhawk re- restrained and Basin's getting ready to shoot him, he goes, "You better kill me, because if you don't, I'll erase you like a disease." He says, "I'll convey your regards to whoever the current bearer of the amulet is, along with the charming mixed metaphor that was your last words." <laughs> So at that point, I'm like, okay, yeah, F- Fingeroth knows that that uh, that Chris isn't intimidating anybody. Um, uh, but you know, you know, and it, it, it's cool. Um, you know, yeah, you, you had his his dad, you know, save him, and then you know, Chris was all, you know, obviously horrified that 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 his dad died, but they didn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, that's a shame about dad, but he was a jerk, and then he realizes he was a good guy. It, it, it was his dad, you know, he didn't understand what was going on with his dad, but. It, it, it's it's still it's still his father it's you know mm-hmm. it still affects him so that that was that was a really good uh, issue issue 14 I, I thought moved really well had a lot of action a lot of emotion and then um you know 16 i i thought wrapped it up pretty well i, I, I was kind of enjoying you know the, the little sides of uh tombstone trying to find a way to make the amulet work you know instead of it oh, instead yeah. of it just turning him into pale darkhawk or something <laughs> I, I, I thought that was kind of a you know a, a nice running gag. Like, okay, we'll get this scientist. Okay, we'll get this uh, magician. Okay, we'll get this psychic lady working out of her apartment. You know, <laughs> he he is having no luck. Yeah. whatsoever. Um, I didn't put it in the synopsis, but it's interesting that we see each time like the amulet is being affected by whatever tombstone is doing. Like if they're zapping it with energy or something. Mm-hmm. You you know, uh, Chris feels it, or I should say Darkhawk feels it in some way. He's either in agony or something like that. That pa- that happens a couple times. So again, adding to the mystery. 
Yeah. So I, I, I thought it was good. I mean, th- there were, there were a couple times where, you know, things may have gotten a, a, a little convenient, you know, but, but I, I actually like the touch with the, the pilot of the plane going, Oh no, you took down some drug dealers in my neighborhood. We're good. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a little bit, bit of, bit of a reach maybe, but uh, I, I, th- I thought it was good. And it was, you know, finally something he did as dark Hawk paying off instead of just blowing up in his face. So I, I, I guess the only down downside I saw is some of the pacing. Like I said, I thought the first couple parts were a little slow, and I think some of that could have been condensed because it felt like, especially in that last issue, we were kind of rushing toward toward the conclusion. So I wish they could have maybe balanced it out a little better. But uh, you know, any complaint I really had was was just minor. I mean, it it, it was a fun comic. Uh, you know, even going back and reading it, you know, what, geez, thirty years after it came yeah. out for the first right. time, it was fun. It reminded me why why I liked Darkhawk. Uh, makes me want to go back and and read even more. Yeah. I, I will agree with you. Definitely, our the emotion gets ratcheted up here. I mean, not everybody makes it out alive, and it's sad to see his watch him go through that. You know, he has to watch his dad die, and that's really sad. Not only that, I mean, he, he dies in Darkhawk's arms, and I don't even think that he gets the chance. Dark Chris doesn't get the chance to tell him that he's he is who he is. Am I right? No, right. and, and you know, I, I don't, and I, I, I don't want Chris to tell me this because I, I do still need to go back. But I'm wondering how many people actually died because you know when he wakes up, the military guys are like, oh yeah, and the the, the two dead bodies washed out to sea. Mm. So you know, some real emotion here. You know, you, you see uh, a son watches dad die in his own in his arms. Um, it's. We got Venom showing up in this thing. We got Tombstone showing up. Uh, there's just all sorts of courtroom drama going on. You know, this is packed full of good stuff that I that I enjoyed. I mean, I I, I had a good time reading this. That's for sure. In these last two issues, I wondered how and and Chris, maybe you could shed some light on this if you have a better idea of what happened in the context of the story that I just didn't get. And and, and Evan, you can do the same thing as well. You know, he gets the amulet back. So he, you know, he beats Tombstone. He gets the amulet back. He, I guess, shoves it into the big hole in his chest. <laughs> just kind of sits there. But it doesn't, like, automatically, boom, happen. He goes in. He goes into the alleyway, resigns himself to basically die. And then when he starts to read the diary from his father, all of a sudden, he's healed again. Did it just take time for the amulet to... Did you interpret it as the t- it took time for the amulet to kind of get back into his system? Or... Was there something else that had to happen in order for him to change back into Chris? Yes, there was more dra- uh, drama that needed to take place. Before. Okay. <laughs> That's the only explanation I really, uh, really have. It, and I don't think we ever really get uh, more of an explanation than that. It's just, you know, it, he, when he first gets the amulet back, he tries to, to transform and it's not working. But as he discovering all this stuff about his dad and the the cabal and everything and then all of a sudden maybe it's the will to live uh, overpowers uh, whatever constraints there were on okay on the and i can buy that part of it the actual body i can buy that i mean that's what i was it's interesting that he's reading these this stuff happening that well through his dad's diary and he's kind of understanding what happened with his dad and why his dad was doing these things that it takes him up to the day that he turned into dark hawk that that affected the the amulet some way and allowed him to change. I don't know, but uh, and I, I was wondering about that too. But I, I, the more I think about it, I almost kind of wonder if it was 
I mean, the, the, they could have maybe con- conveyed this a little better, but maybe it didn't work that first time because he was, I mean, he, he was still all keyed up. He was upset. His mom was in danger. I, I can't remember if he knew yet that, that his, his mom was, was missing, but I mean, it wasn't until then, you know, Chris, you, you said they needed more, more drama to happen, but he didn't need to be Darkhawk right, right, right then. So may, maybe he, he was finally at, at peace. I mean, I, I don't know peace. if that's... If, if if that's it, but you know maybe it was you know he was trying to jam it in before he was still all freaked out and you know didn't know if his dad was a good guy or a bad guy and and all this stuff and then his mom's safe and he he knows finally you know that that his dad was he didn't understand what all what his dad was doing but his dad was who he thought he was so maybe maybe then he finally felt like okay I don't need to be Darkhawk right now mm-hmm. becoming at peace that was what exactly the way I was thinking like okay he's at peace now and boom. He, turned, he changed right back into it, and somehow that affected it. But uh, Or else they were running out of pages, and we'd already said this was part six of six. So, <laughs> Right. Uh, all right, Chris, what do you think here, man? We, we finished up these last two. What are your what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of covered most of it, but um, I really like all the covers to these six issues. Oh, yeah. I think 14 is probably my favorite. It's one of the better Darkhawk covers, period. I mean, 13 is also good, which Evan described earlier with Venom and and Darkhawk in the web is behind him. But this one, you know, it's really dark and, you know, Darkhawk is, you know, in the in the the jungle and you have a giant like hulking venom kind of, you know, peering through the trees at him. It's just uh, really evocative. Uh, the the manly version, Mike Manley version of uh, Venom is a much more Eric Larson style with the long tongue and the green, you know, saliva, you know, dripping out. Um, I really like he's got the big claws like his hands are bigger than you know, Darkhawk's uh, helmet. Right, dude. They're huge. <laughs> and and the issue 15, we see the tombstone has got Darkhawk by the throat, and you see the reflection of tombstone in Darkhawk's helmet, which is kind of uh, similar to the uh, reminiscent of the Hulk, famous Hulk cover with, with uh, Wolverine on the Wolverine. cover. And you see yeah. Wolverine yeah. and the, the reflection of the claws. We haven't really talked much about Mike Manley. Um, he was the artist on the first 25 issues of Darkhawk. I really like... Uh, especially the the early issues that he did of Darkhawk. Later on, I know there's been some criticism of of him, like in the later issues, kind of taking more of like leaning more into like the image style. Whereas his earlier issues, especially the first like seven, eight, or nine, are more of an old school uh, Marvel, more of a reserved kind of uh, style. And mm-hmm. then around the the early around this uh, storyline and then in the later teens. He kind of started to shift into more of an extreme uh, '90s uh, style, um, but this is kind of the sweet spot. I think these these six issues for him that it's kind of a, the best of both worlds. Really, <laughs> he went from Darkhawk, I think, to Ghost Rider, either Ghost Rider or Spirits of Vengeance. I can't remember which one. And then after that, he went, I think, to DC, and he did. I know he was uh, at least one of the artists, if not the full artist, on the issue where Azrael as Batman debuts the new Batman, the Asbat oh, yeah, as suit, and okay. stuff like that. And he was on uh, some of the Batman books for a while, and then yeah. not really sure what he did after that. He's okay, so he's got a lot of stuff under his belt for penciling, but mm-hmm. inking as well. He was an inker for a lot of books, dude. At about this time, so 91, like you said, he's he's artist uh, on Dark Hawk, and then he's he's inking as well Deathlock at this point mm. because like I'm talking like at the same time, so he's yeah. he's doing art for Dark Hawk and inking for Deathlock. 
Sleepwalker number ten. He's uh, an anchor there. He's kind of yeah. He's he's kind of <laughs> actually he's got quite a few sleepwalkers under his belt here. Not number nine, number fourteen. But yeah, DC. He starts doing inking over in DC in '93, and then just kind of like what you were talking about, becomes an artist over at penciler slash artist in uh, on the Batman issues. So interesting. I mean, yeah, I. I Okay, as far as art goes, perfectly fine. I have nothing to complain about here. His stylistic choice on Venom, it's unique enough to where it looks good. It, he doesn't have a whole lot of guest, guest stars to, to deal with here, but Venom's daggone hot property uh, to mm. be bringing into your book and trying to draw at, in, the, in the early 90s. If you had the opportunity to draw Venom, I'm sure you were probably wanting to do so. <laughs> Tombstone, great look. Probably would have been a lot of fun to draw. Because you wouldn't have to worry about, I mean, it was just all white coloring. I'm, I assume <laughs> it's just, you don't have to do a whole lot of, maybe some shading. But uh, but anyway, yeah, Tombstone's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, as far as art goes, this is this is perfectly fine. When, it, when we get into the story, you know, Fingeroth doing, let's just take a look real quick. And then. No, I was just going to say, I, I know he's a veteran writer, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head what else. I'm sure I've read a bunch of his stuff, but oh, you have. I think he's been all over the place at Marvel, especially. Okay, all right. So Just Mike's finger off prints are all over it. Oh no! <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So first book, <laughs> first book he scripted according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, 1981, February 17th, 1981 was the release date of Avengers number 207. Okay, and then oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then in uh, April of 81, he becomes the scripter slash writer for Dazzler from Dazzler number six all the way up to issue six through 26 of Dazzler. So nice. he's writing Dazzler that whole time. There are uh, people gets, listening to this that are scoffing, but those early Dazzler issues are quality superhero comics. That's <laughs> what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Web of Spider-Man, Cyforce. Oh, I've got a few issues of that. Uh, he's writing Cyforce at one point. That's the uh, Marvel um, New Universe stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there's uh, uh, yeah Danny Fingeroth for you there, his early career. But right before Darkhawk, before he gets into Darkhawk, so he's writing Darkhawk from issue one forward. Like right prior to that, looks like Web of Spider-Man, some Fantastic Four. It's not a whole lot of consistent stuff, some Marvel Marvel tales. But uh, what if number 20, what if Spider-Man had not married Mary Jane Watson? Oh, yeah, I got that one. That's a good one. Nice. Uh, uh, Finger Roth, I think he wrote all 50 issues of Darkhawk, but uh, I think Tom DeFalco is credited as the creator. So I'm kind of curious how that, uh, like how much Finger Roth, how much input he had, like before launching the book, like how much of his origin had was planned out, all that kind of stuff, like how that worked with DeFalco creating the character and then handing it off to, to Finger Roth. I've never really heard a lot about that, but. Hmm. Interesting. Wow, he stopped. Like you guys need to do another interview. <laughs> he he stopped in '98. Stopped writing comics in '98. The Superman 80-page giant too close to home, and then doesn't pick up writing duties, at least according to this, until 2001, two three years later. And then that was DC's Legends of DC Universe. Does not well. This doesn't count then. <laughs> they had they had uh, 2021 April of 2021, but it's Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk, Cry of the City. Were those new stories in that? Yeah, that was an interesting. Evan, have you read that one shot? No. Yeah, that's it. Wait, was wait, interesting. Is that that newest one? 
It's that one I shared. Or two ago? Yeah, it's the one I shared when we were. I was like, is this the okay, one yeah, you guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I did read that one. Okay, yeah. That was cool. They did. They basically did three stories from three different eras of, you know, Dark Hawk. They had Fingeroth and Mike Manley do, I think the longest, I think it was like a 20 page story that was set. I'm pretty sure it was set between issues nine and 10. So right before this uh, storyline. And then they did a story that was set in the Annihilation era, which is when they kind of brought Darkhawk back and uh, retconned his origin, which annoyed me and a lot of other people. And then they did a story that was kind of set, I think in the future and was like the last Chris Powell story as Darkhawk maybe. And then, Mm -hmm. A few months later, they launched a new Darkhawks miniseries with a new character as Darkhawk, which was decent. I read that. It wasn't not my Darkhawk, but not bad. I've got I've got the first issue. I haven't read that yet. But. Well, they they appealed directly to me by making him a basketball uh, star, a high school <laughs> ah. <basketball> star. <laughs> nice. Very and nice. Have been that excited about a new Marvel character since Mosaic. <laughs> Uh, wow! And, hey, so, by the way, Jesse, I, I think I know where he went uh, in the '90s. Where? Fingeroth. Um, Wikipedia says he resigned from Marvel in '95 to become editor in chief of Virtual Comics for Byron Price Multimedia and AOL. Oh. Uh, from there, Fingeroth served as senior vice president for creative development at Visionary Media, home of Showtime's Whirl Girl, for which he served as story editor. Really? Now? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. You want Hollywood. Is he writing novels now? Does it say on... Um, Let me see. He edited Right Now, a magazine about the craft of comics writing from 2003 to 2009. He wrote the Continuum Publishing book, Superman on the Couch, What Superheroes Really Tell Us About Ourselves. (laughs) He's, He's taught comics writing at NYU. Let's see. He organized Comic New York, a symposium marking writer Chris Claremont's donation of his archives of all of his major writing projects to NYU's rare book and manuscript library. So it's interesting that, I mean, when you look at his career, I mean, it's Darkhawk. And how many issues did Darkhawk go? 50. And he wrote every single one of them. I mean, that's. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And there were oh, some no, annuals. I think there were I, three annuals. There are three annuals, and he wrote at least something in all of them because they're listed on here. He's, he's listed as a writer. So yeah, he, I mean, he did a lot of books about comics. It looks like uh, more recently. He did a Stan Lee biography, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. That was a fun bunny trail. We learned a lot about <laughs> the creators, which I'm, I, you know, I love that. I love that. And Armstrong, Chris, I want to throw it back to you, man. I mean, we kind of went off on a bunny trail there. What did you have any other notes? Oh, no, wait a second. I already know where I'm throwing this at. You have an you have a story about some anchovies you have to tell. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me, Another uh, one of Darkhawk's great uh, quips. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me just uh, point out an issue 15. The, the rematch with Tombstone was, was a cool fight. And then, you know, him using the uh, electric cable on him. As he mentions in the dialogue, uh, or in in the um, what do you call it, word below, whatever, in, in his inner monologue, that uh, that's kind of a nice bookend to his first uh, outing as Darkhawk, where a bad guy accidentally, you know, fried himself with some cable, electric cables and stuff. Uh, so that was a cool bookend to to an early Darkhawk uh, story. I also like how Grace, you know, he shows up to rescue Grace, and she ends up saving him basically and it, it appears right. that even if Darkhawk hadn't showed up 
uh, you know, she was going to get out of that on her own because she was able to convince one of the captors to, you know, let her go and stuff. So uh, it was cool to see her kind of stand on her own uh, and not happen to be like just a damsel in distress type, you know, thing at the end. And I like the final page uh, where he kind of declares that he's going to keep the amulet and continue on with his his burgeoning career as a superhero. So uh, I do good, not a final note to go out on. I do want to point out something that is mentioned in this story. I And I think it's. I can't remember if it's by um, St. Johnny or if it was somebody else. But but anyway, there there's a mention about how this power that the amulet gives Chris may – it led me to believe that it might be addictive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he keeps getting the notes that say, beware the curse of the Dark Hawk. That's, and so that's right. something that happened in a few different issues. Yeah. Right, right. So – you know, he's got this amulet in his hand and he's about ready to throw it into the ocean. And then for all noble intents and purposes, you know, what you think is going to happen. He's like, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to keep it and I'm going to fight for good. <laughs> and then I was like, but wait a second, bro. <laughs> I mean, this thing I've just read. You might sure about this? To, yeah, this might lead to some more problems, maybe. And is it affecting his is it affecting him mentally to make him want to keep that in some way? Of course it is, I'd imagine. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I, I wanted to point that out because even though he's getting ready to throw it in, I had the back of my head. I was like, well, yeah, he's going <laughs> to keep it because it's, you know, it's making him want to keep it. He's influenced by it. So anyway. All right. Any, and continue. But you definitely got to tell the anchovy story to set it up. The, when he shows up to rescue uh, Grace at this uh, hideout where the bad guys have her. There's a pizza guy who is kind of like, I guess he's kind of hiding out behind the pizza guy, waiting on them to answer the door. And the guy knocks, and one of the, the hoods is like, no anchovies, right? And then Chris smashes the door down and just says, no anchovies, you know, in a, <laughs> in a stern voice. So it reminded me of... Dark Hawk issue 50 came out. There were very, there was very little Dark Hawk for several years. Uh, and in the year 2001, there was a War Machine miniseries. And it was, uh, it was a Max book. Uh, so one of the early uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Marvel Max uh, comics. And mm-hmm. it was set in, a, in its own continuity, not in the Marvel Universe proper. And it was Jim Rhodes in a War Machine story. I really liked it. I, I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, writer's name. I think it was Chuck yeah. Austin. On it. Yeah, Chuck Austin. That's correct. Yes. So, have you read this, Evan? No, I, I just uh, I I flipped through it uh, at the store and uh, decided against it. Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, I mean, it's a hard R. <laughs> yeah. Comic. Oh boy. Nudity, there's uh, expletives, stuff like that. But a really cool story, and it's kind of like a spy. You know, the, it's a Shield story where James Rhodes has the War Machine armor, and there are other characters that have their own armors. Uh, I don't remember what Tony started. It's been a long time since I've read it. But in the midst of, I think it was a 12-issue book, and in the midst of it, there is like this super secret uh, project uh, that they bring out uh, to help them on one of their missions, and it's Darkhawk. And he's essentially like a cyborg, and they're like, they have to be real easy with him because he's crazy, basically. Oh, wow. He'll say stuff like he's he's never aware of what's actually going on in his head. It's always like a VR simulation so they can try to direct him that way because he's way more powerful than any of the war machine in armors and stuff like that. And so, like, he'll be talking to other characters and he'll be like you. It'll be dialogue from like Avengers West Coast 
where he's like, Mockingbird, can you, you know, throw that guy over here and I'll take care of him or whatever. And they're like, what's he talking about? <laughs> uh, and there's a, a point where I think he, uh, he, they think he's dead. I think his head gets blown off or something. So they're, they're bringing the carcass back on the plane after the mission. They're, it's kind of like a silent moment where they're all just kind of sitting there with the dead body on the table. And then a second head like pops out. And the Darkhawk body sits up and goes, no anchovies. Oh, no. <laughs> and, then, and then falls back down on the on the, on the the slab, basically. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's, oh. it, at the time, he had not appeared outside of a few cameos where he barely even spoke, you know, in like an Avengers issue or, or maybe a Wolverine issue in like a crowd shot. Uh, so having like any Darkhawk in my life was huge <laughs> at that moment and it was a really cool angle on on uh, on a dark hawk and he, he looks he looks basically nothing like dark hawk is just like a big mech suit looking character but that moment was really funny yeah that's good stuff that's good stuff nice all right jesse um you, you may have noticed something i didn't touch on and you may have thought that was because we did a whole show about it. I don't know what format you guys were reading this in, but I, I have you know the original issues. And in issue 13, there's a bullpen bulletins page with the January Coolometer. Oh, <laughs> I love these. I and love I have a bone these. to pick because the top, uh, the coolest things are non-sexual harassment, Red Fox, and Anne Margaret. Uh, the most uncool thing is Scarlet, the sequel to Gone with the Wind, which I do remember <laughs> some people being upset about back then. But one, two, one, two, three slots above Scarlet is Squirrel Girl. Oh, no. <laughs> and this must have been just right after her first appearance. And I, I mean, I, I get it. She wasn't fully formed. She wasn't as amazing then as she is now. But um, bad form, Marvel. Yeah, that is sad. <laughs> They're on the wrong side of history. Yeah, there you there you go. She she's just above uh, pregnant women on magazine covers and parodies of same. <laughs> that is some crazy stuff. Okay, well, you know, hey, heart of the hawk, we did it, guys. We definitely did it. Just want to thank you guys for indulging me because <laughs> I, uh, I was super excited to get some dark hawk in. I think the plan is to continue uh, with more early 90s goodness and turn this into kind of a dark hawk sleepwalker trilogy right because uh, there's a sleepwalker four-part story the first multi-part kind of sleepwalker epic called color blindness that i think we're going to oh, yeah. do uh, in the near future and then we'll finish it uh, polish it off with the much ballyhooed and long-awaited dark hawk sleepwalker crossover <laughs> which took I place a few months after each of these respective uh, storylines took place yeah, man. man I, 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 st I still remember reading that one because I, I was I was reading both of them at this point, and I turned the page and Sleepwalker shows up, and I'm like, what? Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody wrote this just for me. Yeah. I mean, the letter pages in both those books were always like, hey, when's Darkhawk going to show up, and when's Sleepwalker going to guest star? So it was something that us 90s comic nerds were excited about. <laughs> great, great, great stuff. This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. 
Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. All right, well, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs here. Evan Bevins. We'll start with you, man. Tell us, uh, tell us, tell tell the people where they can find you. Well, you can uh, find uh, my writings and ramblings about comics and movies and movies about comics, comics about movies, etc. at asterisk51.blogspot.com. Uh, I've managed uh, at this point to uh, to get a hundred posts on there, for better or worse. There, there's a, a little bit of little bit of dark hawk there with uh, my read through of the first three issues of Secret Defenders. And I'm about to jump back on that with my uh, favorite Doctor Strange story, uh, where he assembles a new team, including the aforementioned Sleepwalker, to take on the villain Roadkill. Roadkill. And and Jesse, you know who else is on that team? Tell me. Punisher? The Punisher. Yes, baby. <laughs> I love it. So uh, that's, I haven't read that in a long time. That was my favorite Secret Defenders arc. Uh, let's, I'm going to see if it's more than just a... Uh, odd memory if uh, if if it still holds up <laughs> well we'll find out uh well yeah uh, and, and and again there evan congratulations on hitting 100 blog posts whenever this airs i'm sure you'll be at 150 but uh yeah congratulations <laughs> sir we'll that see is, you uh, that. thank you fant- <laughs> fantastic milestone uh chris armstrong buddy you brought us here for dark hawk the heart of the hawk now where can people find you you can find me on twitter and instagram at brodyman34 uh, you can also catch me on Jesse's other podcast occasionally. Uh, and then I've got my own podcast, Small Screeners, where me and my buddy AJ take a look at direct-to-video and made-for-TV movies of the past. Um, so we've got a couple episodes of that. We do it monthly. Uh, i got one coming up that I'm going to be recording actually later tonight on Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Uh, <laughs> so you can find that at Small Screeners. There's also a Twitter and Instagram account for it, at Small Screeners. Well, you know, hey, I'll throw in my can plugs here at the end. Just make sure to go check out the W2Mnet.com. Uh, we have all sorts of podcasts over there, just about anything you can think of. You know, right here, it hosts Unspoken Issues. We also have the Source Material Comics podcast. And uh, you know, I'm guest starring on a bunch of stuff with Radlich, Mark Radlich, all the time, either TV party tonight or maybe talking about a damn you Hollywood. You never know. Uh, but I'm definitely on the Metal Hammer of Doom just about every Wednesday. Uh, and uh, that... I think we'll be that. So, for lady, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us tonight for Chris Armstrong, for Evan Bevins. I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Uh, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 